Welcome to the Macca's Run with Sam Hargraves for Macca's, Juicy Angus Beef and the lot. Dine in and try the Aussie Angus at Macca's today. Uh, yes, indeed. A very good evening. Welcome to the Macca's Run on a Monday night. I hope you've had as good a day as you possibly can, however you've been putting it in, wherever you've been putting the day in. Uh, it's wonderful to have your company. The number, of course, to ring at any point to have your say on the news of the day is one three hundred seven three six seven three six, And that's what the Macca's Run is all about, giving you a recap of the major stories in sport uh, over the last 24 hours. So if you've been at work all day, you've had the radio, uh, you could have the app, all on SEN. You've been itching to pick up the phone and give your two bobs worth on any of the major stories that have been making news today. one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number. We do it all for McDonald's, of course, on the Macca's run. The clue is in the title there. Get tonight's dinner sorted at your local Macca's drive through Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. You can text at any point if you can't. Give us a call uh, on the Temper text line. Temper is a mattress like no other, but I'd much prefer to converse with you. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Plenty on the menu from a news point of view today. Uh, and we'll start with the most in-demand voice, the biggest name in the game when it comes to all things football, Nathan Buckley. No, uh, we are going to get to Bucks. It's been a very big day for Bucks. The debut of Nathan Buckley on SEN. And we could almost do a whole show dedicated to everything that Nathan Buckley had to speak about. He is going to be must-listen to throughout the course of the year. And him and Gary Lyon together... Um, two of the great footy brains in the caper. It is going to be must-listen on a Monday. He's with Jared tomorrow morning uh, as well for an hour, so don't miss that as well. We could have done a whole show of the Macca's run on everything that Bucks had to say about a whole range of topics, but then we would be falling into what he'd spoken about in terms of headline journalism. So we, <laughs> we might not just do a show with every headline he created, but he certainly had some fascinating things to say about a wide range of topics. So we might even dedicate a segment to the best of Buckley for today. But no, Gillan McLaughlin, the CEO, um, has uh, spoken today, uh, had a chat to Channel 7, uh, and spoke about a whole range of different things. And we'll start with what will await footy fans, with you being able to head back to the footy fingers, toes, and everything cross. It will be at 100% again. We'll be back to normal. We'll get Gil's thoughts on that in just a moment. COVID will continue to play a role in our lives, but hopefully, from a footy fan point of view, uh, it'll be back to just about even keel when it comes to getting back to the footy. But there's two new additions that are going to be waiting to greet you at Marvel Stadium, and Gil spoke about those today in a big announcement for Marvel Stadium. It will ebb and flow. It's going to be obviously the predominant part of the works is on here on the east side and on the south side. There will be a level of hoarding mostly through the project. People should know though that all the gates basically are going to stay open. The seating will be fine and you're just going to have that minor level of, of, um, of irritation and management of the hoardings on your way in. We're just excited about the scoreboards. I think they're going to be the largest uh, scoreboards in the world, if not the largest ones in the Docklands precinct. They're going to be um, the highest definition, sexiest things you can possibly imagine, and we need them there around one. And Matthew Chan and David Lean from John Oliver have committed to that to you, the wider world today, and that makes me pretty excited. Yeah, they're hanging from the roof, yeah, on the, yes, they're new. The sexiest things you can imagine. Now, given that we are a family-friendly show, and given that this is a news-orientated program, I'm going to leave that well and truly alone. Uh, and we might just address that back again in the Sporting Capital a little later on. But these scoreboards are clearly very, very exciting to the boss of the AFL, uh, so much so that they are the sexiest things you can 
imagine, but it's all part of a $225 million facelift uh, of the Docklands, and it's going to include um, the, the Town Square and City Edge. Those are new words that are going to be part of your vocabulary moving forward. So there's going to be two new plazas that are all set to enhance the arrival experience. Town Square, and this all this information is up at sen.com.au. Town Square is located outside Gates 1 and 3. It's going to be an all-weather space. as an atrium, amenities hub, while City Edge is going to be on the eastern side, which will bring together ticketing, merchandising, food, beverage outlets. Uh, there will also be more bar and dining options within the stadium, along with sensory and also multi-faith rooms. Team change rooms are going to get an overhaul with dedicated women's facilities. Uh, but the big screen scoreboards, a new themed lighting that will enhance uh, the experience. And we've been talking about experience a lot, haven't we? Eddie Maguire spoke about it in regards to what we need to do with the MCG, a great southern stand upgrade. Um, and if you are still resisting the notion that this is an entertainment industry and to get people to the footy now, you have to provide um, much more of, for an, of an experience than just the game. And as Eddie Maguire said last week, it needs to be a better experience going to the game than it is to watch it at home. Uh, so this will all be part of that uh, for the new $225 million facelift of Dockland Stadium. So round one next month, when you walk into Marvel Stadium, you are going to um, you are going to be greeted by uh, the sexiest thing you can imagine, the two new scoreboards. So that'll be very exciting uh, at Dockland Stadium. Speaking of the MCG, Gil addressed uh, the potential upgrade there. I don't have any upgrades. I, I think uh, I don't think I'm breaking confidence to say there is a, a level of conversation going on the MCC and the government and there's a view that um, the Southern Stand uh, needs to be, for the MCG to maintain its place as one of the great stadiums of the world at some point there needs to be upgraded or, or work's done to it. Um, I've got a, a line of sight, I think the conversation's preliminary, I won't split the talk for them we will play our role at the right time whatever that looks like. Uh, so Gil McLaughlin there talking about uh, the MCG upgrade and uh, a little bit more about um, actually, I don't reckon that's one that he said today. I reckon that's the one that he gave um, a couple of weeks ago, the next bit of audio that I was going to play. He did speak about going back to the footy uh, like you used to be able to. To every person who's missed football in this town and in New South Wales and Sydney last year, we're back. We're getting on with a way of life. We're going to be opening at venues in this state, 100% capacity. You're going to be able to participate in the game in the way you always have. Bars are open, you can walk around, and the footy's on, and you can commit, you can take to the bank the fixture in the schedule that's outlined, unless there's something extreme, we're going to be rolling on as fixtured. Buy your tickets, get going, get back to the footy. And I'm optimistic and hopeful that all those starved Melbourneian Premiership supporters will be there on the Wednesday night, and the Bulldogs think they can beat them in the grand final rematch, and we're going to be there having a good time. And all the, uh, thank the state government and the, and the Cho for taking the obstacles away. And we'll do our bit with pricing, entertainment and others. And the clubs will do their bit. And we're going to have a good time. I'm excited. I was at the, uh, the weekend. I was at kids sport in the morning and everyone was into it. I went to stuff in the afternoon. And people in this town, you can feel it, are moving forward. And I thank the government for taking all the obstacles away. We'll do a bit, as I said, with pricing. Our clubs will do the bit. We can keep the fixture the same. And get going. It's time to get going. And that's what I know the government is saying. That's certainly how we feel. And... If you don't want to get to the football in this town, then you, don't, you can't really love it. And I expect to see uh, close to capacity crowds right the way through it. Our record's 100, is 401,000 in 2017. I hope to beat it. And, um, and the rest is over to our members and supporters and fans to, to get into it. 
Gil McLaughlin today. I wonder if that pressure might have been just a little bit better inside the stadium, not maybe whatever major intersection that was. I haven't seen it. But are they standing right? Are they standing like in the middle of a lane between <laughs> between two lanes of moving traffic? Uh, poor old Gil's being drowned out there by every truck rolling past, every car that's uh, doing its business. Um, speaking of the fixture, Gil addressed the fixture announcements. I can commit there's a minimum rolling uh, six weeks, you will know at least six weeks out. I think some people would like to know a bit, a bit more. You're trying to balance um, the flexibility we saw and the, and the help that gives you in the fixture with the certainty that people want. Well, I'd say to our supporters and members, we know you want the certainty. We think we've given you that at the venues, around pricing, around the fixture. And, um, you know, you'll have at least six to eight weeks to plan ahead and it may be more and we're, we're working for that. So I reckon that'll be good news for people that really do like to plan their travel. Now that Australia is opening up again, um, we, we've had this feedback a lot over the last couple of years with the, the floating schedule, which from a, from a broadcast point of view, I'm a massive fan of a floating schedule because I think that gives you the freedom then to put um, the most appealing games in the most appealing time slots. And it's a little extra incentive for teams as well um, to know, and and people will laugh at that and think that won't come into the players' consideration. But clubs, they're going to want those prime time slots, the best slots. And um, if you reward teams that are actually playing well and playing an entertaining brand of footy, that gives you the flexible to capitalise on games that might not have been thought to be marquee at the start of the year, but maybe halfway through the year with two teams that might be bolting from the blue or um, a particular matchup that uh, has just got everybody salivating, you can schedule it accordingly. But I also know that for people that follow their team around the country, it makes it a lot tougher not knowing because you've got to plan your leave, you've got to plan your, your flights. Um, obviously, the, the earlier you book flights, they tend to be a lot cheaper, same with accommodation. So I totally get all that. So hopefully there's a balance that can be struck in between making sure that the best games are in the best time slots throughout the year um, and that people can make their travel arrangements in due course to get them as uh, cost-effective as they can be. One of the stories that uh, broke earlier in the year was about the potential to use top-up players, sort of like they did in the Big Bash, like they've done in the NBA. Uh, Gil updated us on that situation. It'll be finalised next week. The Andrew Dillon and Brad Scott and Laura Kane are talking with the clubs. I think it's been reported and I confirmed that there's a plan for each uh, club to have a, a 20 top-up players. Um, how that plays out and the detail of that I'm not going to run ahead of. But that will give the ability for clubs to field a team every week in the unlikely event they have large-scale challenges. Um, obviously, then, you know, living with COVID is going to put an element of uh, discipline requirements on clubs and resilience, and we're going to provide the tools to them to make sure that they can be equipped to play every week. So you're taking the NFL view on that if your quarterback's missing, it's play on? Play on. We're going to be playing every game every week as scheduled. We're going to be playing every game, every week as scheduled. So, I mean, whilst we keep fingers, toes, anything that you can cross, do cross, that that top-up pool won't be needed, it is there um, in the worst-case scenario. So 20 top-up players available to each club. Uh, 0433 98 11 16 1300 736 736 on the Maccas run. Get tonight's dinner sorted at your local Maccas drive through to have your say on the news of the day. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Uh, Gil McLaughlin spoke about um, the AFLW season and the idea of having the AFLW season running in conjunction with the men's season and how that might work in terms of double headers. 
not curtain raisers, double headers. Yes, uh, we are discussing that with them. I know, you know, we're working through a process in that, but it has support from a large section of the, of the, of the female football community, and we would like uh, where we can to play double headers and play women's games alongside men. But there's obviously we're working through that. Is that Again, there's a process to play out, but I, all I can say is that there has support from the discussions I've had with large sections of the, of the, of the women's football community, and he, 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 uh, there's a, that prospect of double-headers then, I think, is, is, on the, is on the agenda. So, Gil McLaughlin talking about there's a lot of support for double-headers uh, moving forward with all 18 teams going to be having an AFLW team next year. Um, as of next AFLW season, how that would then work and where's the right place to play it. And there's uh, differing views on it. Daniel Harford, who coaches Carlton's AFLW team, he's a big fan of the doubleheader idea. Several other players are as well. Darcy Vessio has spoken about it to SEN Drive today after she became the first player to kick 50 goals uh, in the AFLW. Uh, Emma Carney, who I've spoken to, uh, North Melbourne superstar and former Bulldogs Premiership player, um, she's a, a, a big believer Um uh, and sorry, I just need to apologise. I think I used the word she then when I was uh, talking about Darcy Vessio and I apologise for that. Um, uh, and I meant no offence by it at all. Um, my apologies, I wasn't thinking uh, when I spoke then and I needed to remember that uh, Darcy Vessio would like to be referred to as they uh, when they spoke earlier today uh, on Drive with Andy and Gazy. So I, I do sincerely apologise to, to Darcy um, uh, for my slip up there. The... Emma Carney, who, as I was just mentioning, she, uh, Emma Carney, she believes that the AFLW season might be best suited starting with in the, the week, the, the bye before the finals, in the week before the finals, when that's a bit of clear air and then you can utilise the, the groundswell of, of finals footy and then into some space after the men's season uh, and use the finals as a way to launch uh, the women's season as well, given they're using less grounds. There's more time slots. Finals being played at the same time won't worry them. Dwayne Russell has spoken about that if you do play those games as double headers, if they are like on a full Saturday scheduled up against uh, the men's competition, you're going to lose audience, potentially lose audience there, having uh, an AFLW game up against an AFL game uh, in the same time slot. So that's going to have to all be juggled. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three. 98, uh, 11, 16. And finally, just from Gil's presser today, uh, AFL CEO Gil McLaughlin spoke about Tasmania and there's um, a lot of talk today around Tassie. We'll get Gil's thoughts first before I play what Sam Edmund had to say on the latest Tasmania update, their quest to get the 19th licence uh, in the AFL. Well, there's dialogue going on now between my team, the AFL team, and, and, the, and the working party. There's a, about 10 or 11... Uh, topics on the agenda. They're working through those. There have been good discussions. Um, and there's a time to sort of, you know, in the second half of this year. So um, I obviously can't talk too much other than to say they're working through an agenda that in, in, in a good spirit and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Now, you know, the, uh, when it, the We've committed that it'll be in line with the new funding agreements, which means sort of mid to second half of next year, of this year. Uh, there's a whole series of assumptions and hypotheses. We are, our balance sheet's in good shape, uh, the game's in good shape, the right decision will be made, whatever it looks like, and um, affordability comes into it, but that's not going to be the, you know, the, the final issue. 
So a lot covered by Gil McLaughlin today in a wide-ranging press conference. I'm going to come back and on the other side get uh, Gil's response on a story that was in the Herald Sun and the Australian today um, about the fears of the brain bank uh, in regards to the research they'd been doing on the effects of concussion. I'm going to bring that to you. And then Sam Edman gave us an update on where Tassie's at in that bid that we just mentioned. Uh, and then Greg Swan. Matty Richardson from the Port Adelaide Football Club, Tom Harley from the Swans, Brendan Gale as well, Dave Matthews from the Giants have all discussed Tasmania, and so did Nathan Buckley. We'll get all their thoughts on the other side of this. You can have your say on the news of the day, 1-300-736-736. Get tonight's dinner sorted at your local Macca's drive-thru. This is the Macca's Run. one 736 the number to call to have you say on the news of the day on the Macca's run. Uh, let's go to Justin in Coburg. G'day, Justin. Hey, how are you, man? I'm good, thanks. What have you got for me? Um, just wanted to know, um, the grand final rematch between the um, Bulldogs, I think it was the Bulldogs in Melbourne, um, is, where is that going to be played at? Uh, that one will be at the MCG. I don't think you could have the unfurling. Uh, of the flag for Melbourne uh, anywhere else. So um, that'll be Wednesday, the 16th of March, 7, 10pm start. Melbourne Bulldogs will get the season underway, as I think it should be, with a grand final, um, with a grand final, not a replay, but a, a rematch. It's not a rematch either. What do we call it? Because a rematch is, is if they had drawn that to come back the next week, which we don't do anymore. Um, but, no. a, but a grand final, um, <laughs> whatever the word is, is it replay? We'll say no, I'd, 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 no, I'd still call it a rematch, but even though yeah. they um, the uh, Melbourne won, I'd still call it a rematch because, um, yeah. And the other thing, too, is uh, Geelong and Richmond. Is that the opening the, in the round, round one, or is that later on in the round? No, so Thursday night is Carlton and Richmond, as we've done for a little while now. Geelong are playing Essendon on the Saturday. Uh, well, I'm going. Uh, Friday night is St Kilda Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. Then Saturday, the uh, Saturday Arvo traditional clash uh, is the Cats and the Dons. Afternoon or twilight is the Giants and the Swans. The night game is the Lions and Port Adelaide. Sunday, Hawks and North Melbourne. Uh, Adelaide and Frio, West Coast and Gold Coast to finish out the round. So looking forward to round one. And Jeez, it's, uh, it is just around the corner, isn't it? Uh, thanks for the call, Justin. Greatly appreciate it. So those are the 18 teams in action and when they'll be playing in round one. But what about the potential 19th team in the competition? Where are we at um, with that? Um, before we get to that, there was a, a story uh, in the Australian and the Herald Sun today um, that um, half of Australia's sports, uh, it, it showed that um, <clears throat> half of all Australian sports brain bank donors um, diagnosed with CTE, um, had sadly and tragically taken their own life um, for any help in this space, 13, 11, 14, to make sure you call Lifeline. But that is, um, well, that's that's a horrifying uh, statistic, whichever way you, you look at it. Um, and that's very alarming. Gil McLaughlin uh, spoke to that uh, today. I feel we're doing enough. We can, we're, we're continuing to do more all of the time. Um, we've been making changes to the rules to, to protect the head for 20 years. We've been investing in research for a long period of time and we're you know, investing in, in treatment and, 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 and diagnosis. Uh, we've you know, announced a year ago a large level increasing 
funding into research, we're, we're funding a longitudinal study and we're talking and partnering all the right people. It's an important, very important area for us. We continue to do more listening and learning and, and acknowledging the significance of it. Gil McLaughlin today. So Sam Edmund uh, earlier on with Gary and Bucks and then again with Jared Waitley gave us an update on where things are at. Uh, with Tasmania's bid to be the 19th team uh, in the AFL. This was his update this morning. Hey, footy in Tasmania looms is a great story this year. The state's entering its final phase, obviously, as a push for the 19th licence. The next checkpoint is the President's meeting. Now, that's uh, early next month, probably a week or so away, right on the eve of the season, where this bid by Tasmania for an AFL team will be top of the agenda. Now, it's at this meeting that a date will be set for the all-important vote from the President's. Now, we think that will take place at some point in August, but I'm told the AFL and the Tasmanian Task Force that's been set up here for this team have been in regular discussions over the Christmas period, over the New Year period, and there's now real optimism from the island state. And the two parties have come a long way from the immediate aftermath of Colin Carter's report where Peter Gutwin, the Premier, and Gil McLaughlin went head-to-head and, and Gutwin threatened to ban the AFL from the state. A lot of bread's been broken since then. Now, I'm told the AFL are supportive of Tasmania's bid for a 19th team at an executive level anyway. So what this means voting-wise which has been very muddy, the voting process for this team, is with the AFL support, I'm told what Tassie needs from the 18 presidents is only a one-third majority. Prior to this, if the AFL just fully delegated, it was two-thirds majority. Twelve of the 18 presidents had to say, we tick the box and you're in. But with the AFL on board, I'm told it'll take two-thirds of the presidents to actually vote it down. Now, mm. Tassie only needs a six presidents. It's a bit like Olympic bidding. They work in the room all the time. Who's in? Who's out? And it's all building towards all there we go. Uh, fascinating update and uh, brilliantly reported, uh, as always, by Sam Edmund earlier today. So the vote looming in August, as he's spoken about, the two parties have come a long, long way, looking very, very positive uh, for Tasmania to get the green light to have the 19th team uh, in the AFL. So it's worth just having a listen to um, some of the CEOs from the different clubs that have been asked about this over the last few months and uh, and their views on it. So Brendan Gale uh, was asked about it recently and had this to say. <laughs> I'm biased, uh, but uh, look, I'd love to see a Tasmanian team. I think they've got a legitimate right to be in the competition and where there's a will, there's a way. It's, it's not without complexity, clearly. And um, I, 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 I think it would only boost... boost um, our, our credentials as a truly national competition, and I, I just think it'd, it'd be accretive to the, to the entire undertaking of AFL Australian rules football in this country. Brendan Gale, uh, Richmond CEO, Dave Matthews from the Giants had this to say. I think purely from a football point of view, and from yeah the, the history and heritage of that state, I think they're absolutely entitled to be um, to have that aspiration to have their own team. I, I think. Right at the present time, that you know the foot, the content, I guess, the gym Tasmania has been pretty significant for a number of years now. Hawthorne Kangaroos, and for a period of time, they're St Kilda. But you know, if that's if there's an ambition amongst Tasmanians to try to have a side in their own right, then I've, I've got complete respect for that. I mean, I, as you say, having been at the AFL when we started two new clubs in uh, New South Wales and Queensland, um, I'm, I'm an absolute supporter of of any any part of Australia having an aspiration to have the, a side of their own. There's no doubt about that, man. I think it's it's really how does the jigsaw fit to, fit together? How, how does the aggregate profitability of the AFL support it and allow it to sort of develop and, and flourish? And, you know, all the things that we were thinking about back when we started these two clubs, 
in relation to the size of the talent pool and the fixturing um, and broadcasting opportunities. That's for others to work through. But if you actually ask me, do I, do I think Tasmania deserve a side? Then yeah, I do. So that was Dave Matthews from the Giants speaking to the same issue. Tom Harley was asked about the Tasmania vote recently as well. Yeah, look, I think that that's that's at that's at board and and, and chairman level. Um, uh, look, I, I don't have a, a strong a strong view. I'm a I'm a I'm a football fan, no doubt, and, and absolutely acknowledge the the contribution that Tassie's made to to the to the game and the great contribution that Tassie's made. I think you know conversations should centre around not just whether Tassie should have a team, because I think most people would support that. Um, if the conversation is around can the competition support 19, 20 teams, that's a different conversation altogether. So, um, look, no no fixed position on it at the minute, but I'm sure that uh, as a club we'll work our way through that and follow the the process that's required by the AFL and, and the chairs to vote on it if that's the way it goes. CEO of the Sydney Swans, Tom Harley, uh, about uh, Tasmania's bid to become the 19th, or get the 19th team in the AFL. So the Tasmania government, according to Max Lawton on uh, foxsports.com.au, uh, is reporting that the Tasmanian government is set to unveil plans for a new inner city stadium. And this could potentially house uh, that team in Hobart this week. That announcement, he believes, is going to take place. Uh, the ABC reporting that uh, Peter Gutwin will reveal um, Hobart's regatta ground foreshore next to Macquarie Point in the city CBD as the preferred site for a boutique stadium. So it would sit on the Derwent River. Uh, it would likely replace uh, Blundstone Arena across the river from Hobart itself as the host of any potential AFL club. Uh, so Peter Gutwin said, in terms of a stadium, I believe we should be aspirational. As I've said, a stadium should be a key part of our thinking going forward. So all things looking to fall into place at the moment or looking likely to fall into place for Tasmania. When they come in, that's probably the biggest question now as it looks like it'll get the green light and now it's just a matter of when they can proceed. Uh, 1-800-736-736 to have your say uh, on Tassie or any news of the day. John's in Nunawadding. G'day, John. G'day. How are you, Sammy? I'm well, thank Sammy, you for asking. This is a this is a real pain for me. With the, the, the Gold Coast Suns and now Tasmania, the league is putting in uh, hundreds of millions of dollars over the next five to ten years into these teams and around suburban and country for, and country le- leagues around Australia are folding through lack of support. Um, it's, it's to my mind where the grassroots of football, where these AFL teams are getting their players from, should be supported with this money and not going into this continual ex. Expansion. I'm a, an old supporter of the VFL. Mm. I'm sorry, the VFA that was crushed by the league, and I just would like your thoughts on that matter, John. I I respectfully disagree, but um, but I understand your concerns, and I certainly do appreciate your concerns for grassroots footy. Um, if you go and have a look at the financial report that the AFL handed down recently, you'll see they do spend tens of millions of dollars in the grassroots area. And I know clubs are are doing it tough. I don't think that's all the AFL's fault, although I don't think that we should put a cap on just how much the AFL does invest in the country regions. The idea behind the Gold Coast Suns and before that the Brisbane Lions, the Sydney Swans, the Giants, 
is the you build it and they will come mentality. And we're seeing that that's had a great effect on grassroots participation in those states. So eventually when the wheel turns, and it takes time, it's, these are long-term investments, you won't need to pump as much money in. They'll sustain themselves because the interest in the sport will be um, at a point where it does, it is able to tick itself over to being financially viable. So we're seeing the, the numbers increasing every year in terms of participation at a grassroots level in those states. For Tassie, it's been on the decline for a long time. They are alarmed at how just how drastically the participation rates have fallen away over the last 10 years and how a few people are getting drafted from Tasmania. The NBL has now gone chips in and put a team in Tasmania. That's packing out a stadium every night that they play. They're in contention for the Final Four in the NBL. Tassie has an incredibly rich history. Some of the game's greats have come from that state. Um, but, but footy, if you listen to the people down there, John is dying. And, and I hear you when you say that it's dying in parts of country regions as well and this is a part of a bigger problem about and I remember going and seeing it when I went back to my 20 year reunion uh, of my under 18s grand final that uh, I got dropped for um, but that's neither here nor there in this conversation but I was I was stunned at, at when I looked around they did the awards for the under 18s afterwards um, and then I turned away I reckon I blinked my eyes and I turned back and all of them were gone now we would have stayed at the footy club all night in under 18s um, to be just around the club and um, if we had some money to be spending it uh, on, I'm sure, soft drinks uh, at the time, given we were playing under-18s. But that's not happening uh, anymore either. So, you know, footy is in um, a, a f an entertainment fight as well to capture, to make sure that it, it's not... Because it's not a fait accompli that, um, that, uh, that it's footy in the winter and cricket in the summer uh, for young kids growing up uh, in the country anymore. They've, they've got other interests. They've got other options. So... I think it's part of a bigger investment strategy into Aussie Rules footy to make sure it's the biggest game in the country. Um, and I don't know if that's really answered your question about the plight of country footy. That's probably a bigger chat that we can have on another day, and, and I'd love to get people's input on that. Um, I hear you when you say that you're concerned, um, but I am a believer in expansion um, because I think that it, it, it is important to make sure that this game is the biggest game uh, in the country but John it is a great conversation to have uh, and a great and really good points that you make and I thank you for ringing up to make them 1-300-736-736 is the number to have your say on the news of the day as we go to the break uh, this was Nathan Buckley's view and he might share your thoughts on this John his view uh, on the, the prospect the prospect of Tassie um, getting a team uh, in the AFL in the short term no, no, I can't work out having just come out of Clubland and having football department um, funds slashed and like a lot of coaches have lost their job. But that's with 18 teams in the comp. Then the only way you can go to the 19th team is if it is absolutely commercially advantageous to the rest of the competition because they're leaking cash mm. everywhere mm. and there's clubs that are having to be propped up. Yep. So how can you even consider bringing a, another team into the competition? Tell you a no. Well, I can't work out, does it get you an extra game? It doesn't get you an extra game. It just gets a, a, a one team has a buy, and then you've got the same number of games. So you don't get any more broadcasts. What so are you putting money ahead of the Tasmanian bid? I, I, I'm not from Tassie. I'm sure everyone from Tasmania wants it. One, one thing, I've, I'm from NT, and I know that the, the, an NT team has been speculated. One thing that I'd be quick to say over there is you're not going to have many Territorians in your side. 
and a Tasmanian team isn't going to have many Tasmanians in their side either. So don't start thinking it's a state team. But do they deserve a team? They've been a, a massive contributor to football yes. over a number of decades. Yeah, but you know? I don't think it, I don't think it stacks up. That's what I wanted. I don't think it stacks up. But it, it needs to it needs to work commercially because right now there's a drain on on the league and there's clubs that are being can it be a loss league? Can't stay above. The only way it happens if if another club drops out and but that's a, that's a bigger discussion. They wouldn't be coming in next year. <laughs> this would be in the future. This would be this might no, be ten yeah, years. Yeah, five, yeah. Five and, to, and, and this, you've always got to, you've always got to have that dream alive and keep thinking like in utopia we should have a team in Tassie. And I think I think there should be a representation from a football state like Tassie. Because it's contributed so heavily to to um, to footy over the over the years, and I think that would be a fair thing to do. But it's there's still a fair bit of water. So hang on, you're saying yes or no on Tassie? Yeah, not now, no. And potentially in the future. And I, but yeah, and and that's all it is. It's a vote for the future. I I reckon if I reckon nineteenth, the nineteenth team should only come in if the twentieth team's going to come in. Should I don't think you should have teams sitting out. A couple of the temper text. Uh, temper, a mattress like no other. Bring Tasmania in in five years. NT Salties in 10 years, making 20 AFL teams. Uh, Alistair Clarkson as the Tassie Devils inaugural coach. That's from Dean. Uh, Andrew says the cost of an extra team will well and away be offset by the increase in broadcasting rights. People talk about the funding of GC and GWS, but the AFL is still revenue neutral. Just remember too, and it's pertinent for the last call that we had, John, who's concerned about the money going to expansion at the expense, he believes, of uh, grassroots footy. Tasmanian government pay $8 million a year, roughly, to Hawthorne and North Melbourne. That money would be, in the blink of an eye, redirected back into their own team. So they are going to prop a lot of this up uh, themselves, which is a little different to the Gold Coast Suns and the Giants. So um, I hope that helps ease some of your concerns a little bit, John. But that's important to know that um, the Tasmanian government are going to kick in at least $8 million a a year, the money that they were giving to Hawthorne uh, and North Melbourne. Uh, Off the text, Sam, I can vouch for the scoreboards, mate. I'm working on the Marvel upgrade, and they're fantastic. That's come through. And then this one from Mark. Sammy, do you reckon Gil might let me into Marvel so I can get the old cabling and recycle the copper out of them? Can you please ask him for me? Cheers. Uh, Mark, next time I interview Gil, which... Given I've never interviewed him before, <laughs> I'll definitely ask him, but I don't hold your breath. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Big day for the station. Nathan Buckley making his debut on SEM with Gary Lyon every Monday morning. Tomorrow morning an hour with Jared Waitley from nine o'clock. And um, I just it was you I was enthralled listening to to he and Gary just uh, toss the ball around about all the different ideas and 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 stories in footy at the moment, their views on the game. But certainly, um, Gaz spent a lot of time just asking the questions that we're all uh, keen to hear Buck's answer. And I'll take you through some of them. Uh, he started off with his exit from the Collingwood Footy Club last year. Yeah, I was. For that to happen, you need to have respect on both sides, and and I, that was definitely there. Yep. Um, I think the club were really, um, really respectful, and Righty in particular was was mm. amazing. I mean, he and he was fresh eyes and had come in and um, recognised the need for change and, and had that conversation. So it, it was um, no it, bitterness. It, no, not from me, and and obviously, you know, the club just moves on. Um, you don't stay there forever. Mm. And it, and it is really it's it's um, humbling when you realise that um, yeah the club is the the thing that needs to get the most uh, focus and attention because people come and go the mm. club the club will remain so that's the way I've always viewed it. 
He spoke about his relationship with Adam Trelaw and where they're at after not last preseason, but well off season, but the off season before was a pretty disastrous one for the Collingwood Football Club. I've dropped him a line um, a couple of times. We're still yet to speak. Right. There's two parties in that situation. The irony is, and I, and I was quoted sort of early last year, I, I, I had a coffee with Tom Phillips. He reached out and said, g'day, and you know, I've been thinking about you a little bit. And we sat down and had a coffee last week. Exactly, a very similar situation. I still haven't been able to sit down with ads. Now, that may or may not happen, but and I'd be up for it, but it needs to be something that he's comfortable with as well. And he's got a full life, young family, still, you know, new club football commitments. And if and when the time's right, you know, I'd love to connect with ads again. Nathan Buckley on Adam Trelaw. He was also asked by Gary in, in regards to his, if he had spoken to Heredia Lumumba. Similar answer that he was keen to, um, but that hadn't been reciprocated yet. SEN.com.au. Uh, have a listen to it on the podcast. Bucks also uh, spoke about, gave his view on practice matches and how important they are. He spoke about uh, Craig McRae as coach of Collingwood and, and the Collingwood game style as well. Um, he spoke, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about Tasmania. He also had a really interesting view that he believes Craig Bellamy could switch codes um, and coach um, AFL given uh, his success as the mentor, as at the helm of the Melbourne Storm and about the role of AFL coaches as managers more and more these days. All these are available on the podcast, sen.com.au. Nathan Buckley every Monday morning with Gary Lyon from 6am and then every Tuesday morning for an hour with Gerard Waitley from 9. As I said, we could have done a whole show. Uh, on everything that Bucks had to say, but the podcast is the best place to find all things Bucks's first show on SEN. Um, Sam Edmund uh, had a lot of stories today. One of them was fascinating. Uh, it was in regards to uh, Eddie Betts uh, and the book that uh, he is writing and that is set to come out this year. There's already been plenty of twists and turns when it comes to the book charting his amazing journey. So the writer, Ali Clark, wife of former Ruck Matthew Clark, who served as an assistant at the Crows during Eddie's playing days and is now obviously the AFLW coach there, had been entrusted to do the book. But my understanding is there's been a change there and the book's been pushed back a bit to Father's Day later this year. Now, one of the really contentious elements of the book is the chapter or chapters that are going to be devoted to the infamous pre-season camp because Eddie, like a number of Adelaide players, were irritated by the retraction and the apology from the age to collective mind, who, as we know, were engaged by the Crows for a period of time, not just the pre-season camp, but obviously ran that controversial program prior to the 2018 season. Now, Eddie, at the time of this retraction, my understanding is was ready to release a statement in the immediate aftermath, but was advised against doing so. Now, the facts are, we need to state, the age did acknowledge that the camp was running good faith. And the players' interests were front of mind. They acknowledged that WorkSafe SA made no findings of wrongdoing against Collective Mind. But the fact is, elements of Collective Mind's methods were highly, highly unusual and in some cases troubling for the players. Incredibly, though, there are still many exercises that Adelaide players were either made to do or asked to do that haven't seen the light of day because no Adelaide players put their hand up and been willing to go on the record and be the Mm -hmm. face of it, quote-unquote. But at this stage, that all looks set to change with Eddie's book, which which I'm told will lift the curtain on a lot of what has stayed swept under the carpet or remain the subject of hearsay or people speaking on the condition of anonymity or off the record. 
Sam Edmund, that's a big story today. So Eddie's book would be a must-read anyway, um, given uh, his impact on the game and the career that he had, one of the greatest small forwards to ever play the game and um, an icon, really, um, in every sense of the word in his time in the game. And his impact on it will be felt long after with the work that he'll continue to do in it, um, and especially in the Indigenous space. Uh, but that chapter will be in extraordinary, I would imagine. And I wonder if there's some people who have been sinking the boot in mercilessly uh, to the two journalists involved, um, taking great delight in doing so. Um, a lot of it fueled by their own self-interest. I wonder if they might just be having to retract some of the things they've said um, in the not-too-distant future. We will await that. Uh, 0433981116, 1300736736. Some non-footy news to finish up uh, the Maccas run on the other side of this on SEN. Well, I think it has to be. And sure, there's going to be some collateral damage. There'll be tennis players, you know, who not every tennis player wants to fight the war. You know, there'll be plenty of individuals there who are just uh, sole sporting professionals doing their best. But but every war has collateral damage. I mean, and you've got to get the message through that you are now officially, Russia, an international pariah. And sport is a vehicle of doing that because they've used the power of their soccer team as soft power internationally. And, and, and uh, you know, it gives them, a uh, you know, that Russia's sporting self-esteem is very much tied to the deeds of its soccer teams. And, and so that hurts. That, that will really hurt them as a nation. Crash Craddock with Jared Whateley today. Uh, a fascinating conversation about what to do uh, in light of the events that are happening with the Russian invasion uh, of the Ukraine, do you ban all Russian teams and all Russian athletes from uh, professional sport or world sport, uh, especially given that there are Ukrainian athletes who are leaving their chosen sport to take up arms to try and defend their country? It comes off the back of uh, England joining Poland, Sweden, Czech Republic in refusing to play their World Cup playoffs against Russia and FIFA, uh, as insipid as they are, uh, choosing not to expel Russia from World Cup qualifying. Uh, it does remain an option for them, but instead they've done what remarkably what the IOC did and that was make them use the RFU uh, acronym as they'd used ROC in the Olympics. They can't play any home internationals. They'll have to play at them at neutral venues and they've been banned from using the Russian national anthem or the Russian flag. So incredibly the same punishment for running a state-run doping uh, system um, is the same penalty being applied uh, for invading another country. That that uh, is a big talking point in sport uh, at the moment. Uh, this was fascinating uh, as we uh, almost run out of time. It's turning to cricket and the Aussies, uh, you'll hear the Aussies v Pakistan. Uh, every ball of those test matches uh, live on SEN. Uh, Adam Collins and the team, Simon Kadich as well, Wakar Yunus. Uh, this was uh, Shane Warne. That first test starts on March 4. This was Shane Warne when asked about potentially coaching England. Nope, that's not going to play. Let's hear from you. You think Patton. you'd be a good coach, um, England, Shane? Yeah, I think I'd do. I think I'd do a pretty good job. There's, I think there's a lot to work with, but I wouldn't be called the coach. I think I'd be called team manager, uh, Nat. <laughs> from the Ian Chapels. I'd like to do it. No, no, I'd like to do it. It's a great, fun time to be England. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, play a little bit of what Pat Cummins had to say later on in the Sporting Capital, but get your. Uh, get your heroes and villains nominations at the ready. It was a massive weekend of sport. And on a Monday night on the Sporting Capital, uh, we do heroes and villains. one 736 736 That was the Macca's run. I'll be back with the Sporting Capital.